it means so much to me that I've been able to share this experience with all of you and to hear how deeply it has impacted your hearts is why I do this and is why I feel so damn grateful that I'm sitting here in my boob shirt and fucking sniffing up a storm over here, feeling all the feels, um, two years post-surgery and a year post the launch of my book and almost three years post finding out that I had this, um, just filled with so much gratitude. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for all things real talk and conscious conversations about shit that really fucking matters. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, mindset coach, actor, and truth teller extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought to help you face your fears, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to episode 109. Today is a really important and beautiful and special episode and um, I, uh, I have so many things that's been going on in my personal life <laughs> that I want to update y'all on. You've probably been seeing on Instagram, but today is not about that. Today is about uh, what December 3rd means to me because this happens to be launching Thursday, December 3rd. And I thought it was such beautiful kismet because December 3rd has been a hugely important journey uh, and date for me in my journey with uh, beating and navigating the potential of breast cancer and um, celebrating the shifts and uh, and exploring and sifting through my journey with the BRCA1 gene mutation. Uh, two years ago, on December 3rd, 2018, I was going into surgery for my preventative double mastectomy. And a year ago, on December 3rd, 2019, I launched my book, Baby, that I never expected to write. Um, I chopped off my tits um, into the ether. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting because when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for today's episode, um, I was thinking about how the fear that I navigated through all this. Y'all know I'm all about the fears, feels, and fucks, right? That's my shit. That's what I teach on. That's what I, that's what I, I love. That's what uh, has helped me, me and my own journey fully come home to myself and live my fuck yes life. And it's why I do everything I do. Um, and uh, when I first uh, started this podcast almost three years ago, um, I, my first recording that I did, uh, that wasn't like pre-recorded, um, with some guests and that I hadn't like gotten ready, like it launched, um, on my birthday of 2018, uh, which was, uh, February 4th, 2018, it launched, um, we're almost three years to the date, which is kind of fucking wild to think about. Um, and, um, the first episode that uh, wasn't pre-recorded that that went live um, and and in real time uh, was a little bit later in March, and it was the first time I talked publicly and openly about finding out about my BRCA one diagnosis, um, and so. I didn't know when I started the podcast that I was going to be navigating that head on. And so it felt really fucking 
disingenuous to not talk about it. Um, for me, it, it felt that way um, because it was so front and present in my personal uh, space and 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 my 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 anxiety world and my fear space. And on top of that, I had spent about um, a month or a month and a half um, before sharing that episode and, and having it go live and and, and recording it. Um, desperately exploring and looking around for resources attached to the BRCA1 gene, attached to um, how to navigate the fear head on and um, and feel less alone, uh, especially as somebody in their 20s. I was 27 when I when I first found out um, and got diagnosed with the the gene mutation, um, and there were no resources. There was nothing. I found a few people on Instagram that were talking about it, um, but there were no tangible resources. Nobody that had any um, experience or knowledge around how to um, handle and attack fear head on with intention um, and and support in that space. And it made me angry. It made me angry. And everything that I have done since I started my uh, the reason I started my business in the first place um, five years ago when I when I opened um, up my coaching business and just t- took the dive into entrepreneur world and I'll maybe get into that uh, that backstory and, and that journey a little bit more um, in po- podcast episodes to come because it's been a wild ride and I know a lot of you have asked that um, asked me to talk more about that but it was truly out of a place of I have this need. I am struggling so deeply in this and I just want to get myself healthy and happy and feel supported and like I'm not alone. And why is nobody talking about this openly? Why is no anything, everything I have ever done in the last five years has been because of that. Because I am just so tired of not seeing people talk about it. I'm so tired of, or I'm so tired of seeing people talk about it in ways that aren't actually supportive, right? Scare scare tactics, um, all sorts of stuff. And I was just so tired of it. I was so tired of it. So I decided to talk about my journey openly. And it's the first time that I ever did that um, and have done that um, in real time. Uh, at, at that point, I had, you know, been navigating my ED recovery and all of that stuff, but I had been, you know, kind of a year into the process before I started talking about it more openly, um, or even longer actually really. Um, but this, I was literally speaking in real time. And I think when I was thinking about how I wanted to share, um, between the podcast and also um, the stories in my book and everything that um, all the fear and the anxiety and um, and ups and downs and everything I was navigating, I thought, how beautiful would it be to go back to episode six, which was the first episode um, that I talked about BRCA, all the way from back there and go chronologically so you could experience again in real time some moments of me um, in this journey. Because whether you uh, have BRCA or are navigating breast cancer or just are a human, (laughs) it doesn't matter, right? Um, This is not and has never just been for people navigating BRCA. And I know a lot of you are listening who are in that space and I just, I adore you all. But really what it is, is BRCA was a step 
and, and having to navigate that head on was me learning to in tandem, uh, take everything I had learned and been taught around fear and, um, and uh, supporting supportive tools and um, moving through the feels and anxiety and all of that stuff. And I had to literally embody my own teachings in order to, to show up, in order to function, honestly, on a day-to-day basis because it was so fear-inducing. And I think there's so much information out there around trauma and all of this stuff and anxiety and it's beautiful but what I think is so rarely talked about is how we can support ourselves through the process right that is why I am all about fears feels and fucks because you need to know how to face your fear head-on with intention because we're going to we're going to experience fear and stuff that's hard right all the time that's part of life and then we need to know how to move through our feelings right with with love for our bodies and ourselves and and intention, right? So that we can embody our fuck yes selves. That is what I do. That is what I teach. That is what I practice. And that is why everything I do pours from that space and why this book, I chopped off my tits, felt like such a such an important piece of the journey. Um, and so we're gonna take you through the journey today. And I'm going through it with you for the first time in real time this too. Um, and uh, I will probably be feeling a lot of feels alongside of you. Um, so whether you're here because you have BRCA or you're here because you have navigated a lot of fear or trauma, or right now you are coming out of 2020 feeling more fearful and um, struggling more than you have in a really long time, I uh, I hope this makes you feel a little less alone in your journey and helps you re- helps you remember that the process can be really beautiful if we allow it to be for ourselves and also fucking messy because that's real, right? So without further ado, let's fucking go. Past couple of years, um, I have been on a journey of self-discovery. Um, I have worked so, so much on building up my self-confidence and my self-worth. And I can truly stand in front of you and say that I love who I am and the person I've become and the strength I have inside of me. Um, It's taken work, you guys. It's taken work. And showing up every day and coaching has been such a big part of that because it's opened up so many doors that I never, ever anticipated and you know i've been able to break break through so many negative relationships i used to have with health fitness food myself um you know negative self talk just all those things that you know we have started to dive into the on the podcast and we will continue to talk about those things but i i went into this year 2018 with a word and i i like to do this every year I like to kind of choose a, a word for the year that I want to kind of embody the energy of that year. And the word I chose was unapologetic. And for me, that meant, you know, on one on the one hand, just being 100% myself, um, being real, being raw, being goofy as all fuck, and not giving a shit about what other people think, and doing me. Um, saying no to the things that don't light me up, and saying a hell yes to the things that do 
And that also meant being unapologetic also meant that I was not going to let my fears rule my life anymore, that I was going to do the shit that scared the crap out of me. And that goes back to my gut, you guys, um, because for the past seven years, my gut has felt very, very strongly about, uh, about a particular thing in my life that I will be sharing with you guys. And I haven't listened to it. I didn't listen to it because I didn't have the strength to know the answer. And, um, yeah, it scared the crap out of me. And I'm getting emotional about it because it still scares the crap out of me. But I finally had the strength and the courage to show up and to face my fears. So taking you guys back, uh, when my dad was 18 years old, his mom died uh, at the age of 44 to breast cancer. And I saw from the moment I was old enough to know, (laughs) I saw how much it impacted his life and shifted his course and um, really, really impacted his family. And I mean, I can't imagine (laughs) what it's like to lose a parent at 18, let alone in at all. And I'm incredibly close to both my mom and my dad. And the idea of them not being in my life just blows my mind. It's just not something I ever hope to think about and want to think about or or understand what that feels like. Um, and it's a it's been a big part of my dad's story, and obviously uh, a big part of mine too by proxy. And uh, while I was going through college, uh, my dad went and had a conversation with me and um, he told me that there was this test that he could take that had just come out. Um, It wasn't around when he was young or when his mom was alive or even, you know, when I was born. Um, There's been a lot of advancements in cancer research, as I'm sure you're well aware of. And um, yeah, he said that he was getting tested for this gene that... um, and he, by just taking a simple blood test, he would know if he had this gene that would is linked to breast and ovarian cancer. Um, you know, because his mom died of breast cancer, he he wanted to make sure that he was um, he knew all, everything that was going on with with his own personal medical health, and he wanted to let me know that he was doing this. And his test results came back, and um, they found out that he was in fact positive for the cancer gene, specifically the breast and ovarian cancer gene, which is called BRCA, B-R-C-A, for those of you who want to look that up. And I will post some stuff um, in the show notes. But um, when he told me that, I didn't really think it impacted me in any way. Um, You know, um, obviously, uh, beyond the fact that I was worried about what that meant for his health. Um, But he then went on to say that it is a genetic mutation, and that if you are positive for the gene, that any offspring, aka me or my brother, um, have a 50-50 chance of also receiving the gene. 
and I heard this and I immediately went, I don't want to know. And that was about seven years ago. And I still didn't want to know for years. And I, I didn't have the courage to find out because um, I just didn't want to deal with the consequences or deal with the knowledge of what that was. It felt easier uh, to not know. <laughs> and maybe you can relate. Maybe there's something in your life that you have just put off exploring that you've put off learning more about, whether it's health-related or job-related or relationship-related because it scares the shit out of you. Um, and uh, going into this year, that's going back to my unapologetic year, uh, I decided to face that fear. And the fear was really big, you guys, because my gut, my really, really on-point gut, ever since that day, that my dad told me that he was positive and what that could mean for me. My gut told me that I had it. It was like my body just knew. My my intuition was really, really, really strong. And I uh, I decided to finally face that fear. And at the end, um, or like end of January... I got my blood test and there was no turning back. And two days after my 27th birthday on February 6th, 2018, I got a call from my doctor that I am in fact positive for the BRCA1 gene. And uh, I will never forget that day. It was... 24 hours before I was leaving for an incredible, incredible leadership uh, conference for my coaching business. And it was 24 hours before I was going to be gone for a two-week period of traveling and and being in Hawaii with my best friend for a week. And uh, I will never forget getting off the phone with my doctor and immediately, and, and maybe you can, maybe you've been through something like this. I don't know what it is about the shower, but immediately stripping off all of my clothes and turning on the shower and just having probably a 30 minute sob fest, like hardcore quarter life crisis style sob fest in the shower, heaving and, and just fucking, ugh, yeah, it was. It was a really intense day, and it's been an intense time in my life, a time of questioning, a time of processing, and I'm not sharing this with you guys because I, I need the sympathy or, or the support because to me, you know, I'm not telling you that I have cancer. I'm telling you that I could have cancer and that I've decided to take action on that and arm myself with the power of choice because I have choices now and knowledge may be power, but it's also fucking scary. And my worst fears came true. Uh, but that doesn't mean that my life is over and that doesn't mean that everything just falls apart 
it means that it's time to take action. And I will be honest and say that I don't really know what that action looks like for me right now. Um, But I will be doing my fucking darndest to share the real, the raw, and navigate with all of you guys through the podcast, through the blog, on my Instagram at Amanda Catherine Loy, um, and share this journey with you. Pretty wild to go back, huh? So uh, that was a, a snip, snippet, a snapshot, I guess, of episode six. Um, of the podcast, um, which was uh, recorded in March 2018. Uh, And, uh, oh, so many feels, right? So I was so in it, um, and I had no answers. Um, No answers for myself, uh, no answers really at all about what I was going to do. And uh, what I wanted to share next with you was actually – it's from a chapter in the book, um, from the uh, chapter entitled "The Mess of It All" in uh, the, the first section. Um, if you want to read along with me, feel free. Um, and by the way, if um, you haven't gotten a chance to snag a copy of the book, um, you can always just go to amandacatherineloy.com forward slash book or um, or go to Amazon <laughs> and uh, and snag your copy there. Uh, but I wanted to share this particular part of um, this particular chapter in this moment um, as we go through because um, in this chapter I share, it's the only time I share a direct uh, journal entry of mine and uh, something I I didn't share too much around um, in that episode was that um, shortly after I found out that I had uh, the BRCA1 gene like two days, uh, the, the next day I flew to LA for a conference and then went to San Francisco to celebrate my wedding anniversary um, with Kev and then flew to Hawaii for uh, almost 10 days to see my best friend who lives in London, who we never get to see each other, um, and worked from Hawaii. And um you know, I had, so I was just like, go, go, go. And I hadn't really had the time to, um, absorb what I had been told over the phone. Um, and I talk about this a lot in my book. So (laughs) you're you're like, probably like old story, old hat, Amanda, um, if you've read it, but, um, I just wanted to share this particular section because this is where I was at, at that moment. And, um, here are my words. The second I got back from the gym to an empty room and found myself truly alone for the first time in a week, it all came rushing in. I am a woman living with the BRCA1 gene. This is fucking terrifying. And in all of this, the biggest thing that continues to ring true in my brain is this is the reason I decided to get tested in the first place. To quit the fear cycle and know once and for all. So the option of screening doesn't feel like an option to me because fuck, just cancer to come. I mean, I'd kick it in the ass, but goddamn if I take that chance. The things I know, I'm terrified. I don't know what this means for my future as a mom. My identity, my self-worth, my strength, my marriage, everything feels unknown. Everything feels foreign and completely different than it did. All of my plans and dreams feel 
hard to imagine now, which I know is so silly, but it's my reality right now. So I'm leaning in and trying to accept my emotions. (laughs) Sidebar, that's something I have always really struggled with, as y'all know. (laughs) All right, back to it. I know that I will be chopping my boobs off. Stat. Fuck. I've been intuitively preparing my life for this. My health, there's a reason I took control of it when I did. The platform I have built, this is everything. This may be a story I never imagined for my life, but it's mine, and goddammit, I intend on bringing light to this and being a light for others. This is going to be a huge year of change. I don't quite know what that means, but I know that no matter what it looks like, I am strong and I am supported. I can and I will navigate this with strength. And all the mess in between, because it's my be- my mess. You got this, girl. And uh, I shared that in my book because it was a snapshot of my fear and my internal processing at the time. And oh my gosh, I got so emotional rereading that. Um, <laughs> y'all, you know, go back to that space in your life. You're like, fuck me. Um, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to ingest. And um and so much felt so unknown. And and I, I think that that's part of the fear process, right? We have something come up in our lives. It's like this fucking year. Something come up in our lives and it's like, oh, where do I go? How do I start? And we're so desperate for something, right? Um, for for some kind of, of knowing, some kind of answer. Um, and uh, this was the moment in this time. I remember vividly where I was. I was sitting on the beach Um, And I had taken, it was the first time I had had a breath to myself um, in like the whole time, basically, since I had found out. And um, I was sitting on the beach by myself and I was writing and I was watching the sunset and writing that I know that I will be chopping my boobs off. Stat. That was the first time I had said that out loud or on paper, I guess. Um, And uh, acknowledging that to myself was... Oh, weighty for sure. And that was the beginning of my journey um, and my uh, in- intense processing of getting to the decision to chop off my tits um, two years ago. And uh, that journey, I tackle and share with all of the fears that I navigated head on and tools that I showed up for myself um, that you can also actionably show up for yourself around all things body dysmorphia or sex um, or relationship dynamics um, or navigating your feels or feeling like you need to be stronger and all of the shoulds, right? Uh, I talk about those in grave detail, insane detail, um, and beyond, and stories, and all of that good stuff, and inspired actionable tools for your heart to support you um, in my book. So I'm not going to deep dive uh, into that here today. Uh, What I wanted to move to next was uh, the episode where I uh, share what it was actually like to get my double mastectomy um, at the age of 27. I took a break over the podcast um, for my double mastectomy two years ago. Um, I think I had all of December and all of January off because I was in recovery. Um, and um, I came back in February 2019, a year after the podcast was launched. Um, and with episode 80, episode 44, uh, apologies, um, I, uh, which was titled, What It's Like to Get a Double Mastectomy at the Age of 27, um, I, uh, I shared 
openly and publicly for the first time um, before my book, obviously, what it was like. Um, so here's a little bit from, from that episode. You also have to, <laughs> you also have to wash yourself the night before. If you've ever had surgery, you know what this is. It's with this gnarly ass. It's like a magenta colored wash, which is called Hybeclens. And you have to wash yourself. It's like sterilize your body basically um, the night before and the morning of surgery um, with this magenta pink disgusting thing. So that was the most thrilling thing. And I did not expect that. Um But yeah, morning time, I got up and I took some time for me to journal. I did a little light yoga, which helped, really helped with my anxiety. I took a long shower and washed my hair, which was going to be key because I knew I wasn't going to be able to wash my hair for a while. Um, And yeah, washed myself. And then I had to also drink some pre-surgery apple juice um, just to like get the sugars in my body um, to help with the anesthesia stuff. And then I headed to the hospital. Um, when I got there, I registered, got set up in a private room to do all of my pre-surgery vitals and get my IV administered. And I also had to like pat down my whole body with these cold wipes before putting my, my gown on. I think it was another, uh, like, uh, way to make your body more, less prone to, in fact, I don't know. It was funny and it was super sexy. Let me tell you. Um, and then my doctors came in, chatted with me and my sports squad. And before I knew it, I was given my sleepy cocktail for my anesthesiologist. Um, which let me tell you, I have some hilarious raw footage. I will post it in our podcast <laughs> life community the day that this episode airs, uh, because you guys are going to die. It's so funny. Like I thought that, uh, my body was a bowling ball and the bed rails, um, of my, bu- of like, <laughs> of my like bed that was, that was moving to surgery were bumper cars. So yeah, I was really killing it anyways. Um, whisked away to surgery and then I blacked out. Like I, I don't even remember, honestly, I don't remember saying the things about the bowling ball because I was like out. Um, the only reason I, I know that it happened is cause it's on camera. Um, but yeah, I, lost an entire six hours of my day. Um, one minute I was holding my husband's finger and the next minute I was blinking half awake in the ICU saying that I was nauseous. I was nauseous when I woke up. Um, but then I blacked out again and then I was in my room. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I, I just like couldn't believe it. And I woke up you guys and I was sure that I was going to wake up to, feeling so much pain and just being, oh, so uncomfortable. And they always ask you in the hospital, like to rate your pain on a scale of one to 10. And I woke up and honestly, I was at a two and I was not on any narcotics. You guys, the entire process, I was on no narcotics. I was on, um, they had given me, a like a nerve blocker, um, right before the surgery, which is a new, um, system that they're testing out, um, to really just help settle your nerves. And, my surgeon actually told me later on that the reason it worked so well for me and that I didn't need narcotics is because I had been doing a lot, especially in the fall leading up to my surgery, I had been doing a lot of upper body strength workouts. And because I had so much really strong muscle in my chest, the nerve blockers take better when there's more muscle there. So that was a fun fact that I didn't know. Um, and my pain levels were just super low. Um, I wasn't really allowed to eat that night. Um, I had like broth and a popsicle, which let me tell you, tasted 
better than anything I've ever eaten in my life. Um, and they just made sure that I was there overnight just to watch me and make sure that everything was good. Um, and yeah, my team was incredible. Um, I loved, 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 um, the team that I worked with in Chicago. Um, so if you're in Chicago and considering getting the surgery, um, or just need an amazing hospital to go to, (laughs) uh, shoot me a message and I will let you know where I was. Um, in terms of post-op, um, I have to say, you guys, leading up, I was expecting so many awful things, but honestly, it was way less taxing than I anticipated. Um, the unknown and fears like that were constantly in my brain heading into surgery, I think were harder than anything post-surgery. And that has been the biggest surprise of it all. Um, I mean, the first night I was up and about going for walks and I wanted to like dance down the hallways. And yes, I was feeling swollen. And yes, I was obviously like taking it very, very easy, but you know, I felt pretty normal, um, come, you know, waking up a few hours after waking up. So, um, I got the go ahead from my doctors that everything was looking good. And the next day I got discharged from the hospital. So I was really in the hospital for just a little over 24 hours, which was way less long than I expected for a major invasive surgery. Um, I was a bit sore, so that was like my biggest feeling, almost like I'd done a really intense workout the day before. Um, My shoulders and back and chest were taking the brunt of it, obviously. That's where all the trauma was happening, but also I was laying on a, you know, a a surgery (laughs) bed for uh, a six-hour process, so that probably in and of itself did not help the muscles in my back either. Um, And uh, two days after I was home, I was able to have my first shower, which was seriously the best feeling in the whole wide world. Um, I did have drains in my body for nine days, which for those of you who do not know what they are, they basically are these like they insert into your um, chest somewhere. So mine were along kind of like my bra line, kind of underneath my underarm. And it's just to help with the fluid draining. because again, your body is like going to be creating a lot of that, um, to help with the process of healing. So that was, um, that was probably the worst part of it all was having those in, um, showering with them was a process. I like is I had to attach them to a lanyard, um, and had help showering. So again, I was not able to shower on my own and having my husband there every day to do that was, oh my gosh, he gets so many gold stars. Um, I also, saw myself for the first time since before surgery, uh, three days out. So like I had been pretty much wrapped in, um, special bras and some gauze and stuff just to like keep it all in there. Um, but when I went to shower, I, I looked and I was really scared. You guys, I was so scared. Um, but I did, and I was expecting to look like Frankenstein, And I was so shocked at how good they looked just two days out. I mean, they were definitely swollen and puffy, but it was way better than I anticipated. Um, And all I could think of was how proud I was of myself um, and how relieved I was to have this behind me. That was the biggest thing honestly um, that I didn't expect was to wake up and feel this immediate sense of relief you know, I don't have 
a mom or a dad that has passed away because of this gene. My grandmother did, um, but I never met her. And while I'm so connected to her from my dad, um, you know, I, I don't have that visceral, like, need to be able to do this and, and that worry, right? I mean, it's always been in the back of my mind, but I don't think I really, really, really acknowledged to myself how much it was impacting me until I was on the other side of it uh, because I just had such a breakdown in the hospital to my mom about it and how I just didn't expect to feel so much relief, like so much relief to be on the other side and know that I never have to worry about breast cancer <laughs> and that that's been this thing that's been hold, like held over my head for the longest time. Um, it was just that was the biggest thing that I didn't expect. Wild, right? <laughs> so that was recorded and released into the ether on, uh, again, like I said, February 2019. And I, uh, I've done a lot of reflection around that process since. And um, the chapter that I talk about this pretty um, intensely in my book is ironically also called What It's Like to Get Your uh, What It's Really Like to Get Your Tits Chopped Off. Um, so, uh, for the, the the minute to minute day to day breakdown and all of the stuff, um, that's where the goods lie. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit of that chapter actually at the end of it um, and bring in some of the voices of some of the incredible humans that I have had the privilege of knowing um, and hearing their stories uh, over the last three years. Uh, women who are previvors like me, um, which is the term that means. Um, you know, anyone who took preventative measures because of family history um, and or a gene mutation, um, cancer survivors and thrivers and um, and everyone else. And at the end of the chapter, uh, I talk about what it this pressure of, uh, quote, getting back to normal. And um, I just wanted to share uh these words from from the book um if, if you, again if you want to follow along it's the end of that chapter so here we go i've spoken to many women on this journey previvors cancer survivors and thrivers and every single one of them feel this immense pressure to get back to normal your hair grows back and you're good you're physically healed from surgery and you look normal so you must feel normal too right you finish chemo find out you're in remission and you can finally go back to normal the reality of it is your old normal can never be your normal again. We, You may th- look the same, but you've been forever changed. It's like any traumatic experience in life. We endlessly look at our past selves as our better selves. I see this time and time again with my clients on the other side of trauma. Humans desperately trying to find the person in the mirror that they once knew. Can you relate? I hate to break it to you, but looking to the past to be a mirror to your future self is not only unrealistic, but a form of self-sabotage. Tony Robbins says that if we aren't growing, we're dying, and I wholeheartedly agree. Sidebar, I don't agree with everything Tony Robbins says, but I do with that. (laughs) Every experience and challenge we face in life forces us to grow and up-level. Are they often filled with experiences that make us yell, what the fuck world? You better believe it. But those moments, they are pivotal in evolving into the person you were put on this earth to become. When we spend so much time trying to come back to the person we used to be, we do ourselves a major disservice. 
we always need to be looking forward and the reality of it is that the person you once were is gone and thank fucking god for that because this version of you is so much more layered courageous and authentic and I don't know about you but I would so much rather show up and meet that version of you than a shell of who you once were that you're desperately trying to become again Embracing your normal is the most radical act of self-care you can do, my love. So dig in and let the new you shine. And that's the chapter, the end of that chapter. Um, it resonates so deeply inside of me, um, and, de- and it did around that time, um, because as you heard at the end of that podcast episode, I was feeling this relief, but what I didn't take into account was how all of the trauma would live in my body and how... It was not this linear process. And I think we're so often taught that healing is should be this up and up and up, right? And that if you take a step backwards, you're a failure. Or um, we see, you know, not progress as failure instead of a natural and very important part of the healing journey, um, any kind of healing, and also of the living and human journey, right? Uh this, this, this quest for, for perfection and this quest for uh, what we have identified as strength um, societally and as, uh, as <laughs> uh, success societally is a load of bullshit and is, is, is surrounded by shoulds, in my opinion. And uh, it can be debilitating to try to live up to. And it's why the overwhelm and fear and anxiety cycle is so deeply perpetuated in all of us because we have these unrealistic expectations that we need to somehow uphold and live to, right? And uh, this concept of just living in the in the moment and as ourselves now is one that I didn't even writing the, my book. I wasn't fully there, um, and uh, I, I was starting to learn how to get to that space and really um, celebrate where I was through the fears and the feels, um, but. Even the concept, it's interesting, like rereading that chapter, like even the concept um, of, of very deeply, uh, you know, uh, moving forward and not looking back, I think that's true. And um, I think it's also be- a beautiful, beautiful reflection of where we are now is still who we were. It's just a more deeper layered version. And what if who we were when we were externally seeming really great, but maybe we weren't actually, isn't what we should look back and celebrate. And we can celebrate that version of us. And and I use should very intentionally now should celebrate that version of us because we were doing exactly what we knew in that moment. And that's the best that we knew how to show up for. And it was exactly where we were meant to be. And where we are in this moment is also beautiful and exactly where we're meant to be, even and especially when that looks different. Oh, and it's such a it's such a journey. It's such a, a constant battle and and practice. So, um, speaking of moving through that, um, the next part, um, a next piece of the journey is um, I want to share another chapter or part of a chapter um, of my book, which is in the the third section of the book. So. As you know, the second section is all around the fears, the breakdown of the fears leading up to surgery, and then the second, the third part of the book is all about what happens after. And again, this is something that was never talked about, and um, something that I uh, deep dove into the book, um, and I wanted to share this section um, from the chapter called "What Happens When It's All Over." It may feel super unsexy to hear this, but you know I'm going to tell it to you straight. So here it is. 
Your trauma is going to stay with you for the rest of your life. You can't take back what has happened. You can't reverse time unless you've magically created some teleportation device, but we've all seen how that worked out in Back to the Future, so I don't recommend it. What you can do is decide how you're going to show up moving forward and continue to do the work. Now let me preface this by saying that this is not going to happen in the snap of your fingers. I refuse to be one of those woo-woo, rah-rah writers that puts a bow on everything and says that life is a magical ball of unicorn dust if you just believe it is so. Does the inner work make powerful shifts that can help us navigate the mess with grace, vitality, and positivity? Fuck yeah, it can. I've literally made an entire career learning that, that shit the hard way, and I'm giving all of my life's work to you via this paperback goodness. That's how much I fucking love you, okay? <laughs> the truth is that the work never really ends because there's always shit to navigate. That being said, the more incredible tools we have in our toolbox and the people in our corner who empower us to continue to do the work and get one step ahead of the mess instead of allowing the mess to take over our lives, that's where the magic truly lives. Oh, and Hogwarts, obviously. <laughs> we live in a society where we crave instant gratification. Our brains have literally become hardwired to move more and more towards things that immediately give us what we desire. Why do you think Amazon is, as of 2019, the world's largest retailer? And don't get me started on the diet industry. Whole30, juice cleanses, keto. We see someone magically shed 25 pounds in 30 days and we immediately hop on the motherfucking bandwagon only to get results that aren't sustainable and ultimately lead to more disordered eating and body shame. Been there, done that. It's not pretty. While I think it's incredible yet slightly disturbing that I can get toilet paper delivered to my door an hour after I order it, if I magically run out amidst a deluge of food poisoning where things are coming out of both ends, College Amanda had a couple moments where she could have really used that feature. Shifting one's mindset and cultivating coping mechanisms that are positive isn't so cut and dry. Because as all things in life, the ending of an especially challenging chapter of our life doesn't mean that our emotions around it magically end too. There's a reason so many therapists work on healing traumas that individuals face as children. There's a lot we haven't dealt with from our past. And if it takes years of self-reflection, work, and intentional time to recover from something that happened 20 plus years ago, you better believe a recent trauma is going to be just as hard, if not harder, to tackle. When we're in the shit of it, in my example, having and recovering from my surgery, we are handling everything head on. Doctor's appointments, I made my way there. Made my way there. Stripping my drains, I had Kev on standby. My post-recovery strength plan, I had my workouts and physical therapy planned out for my six months post-op and beyond. I was killing the you of the fuck it method and taking control of what I could. P.S. If you have not uh, learned about the fuck it method in one of my many either podcast things or with the book, highly recommend it. It changes the game for everything. But once I found myself on the other end of six months, after I had checked all the boxes my doctors had given me and there wasn't really anything left to think about when it came to my surgery, I felt lost. And my feelings of fear that I had been experiencing leading up to the main event turned into a shit ton of worry, which I truly didn't see coming. You see, the other side of trauma it's a dark hole of who the fuck knows what could happen, which is made a million times worse if you're already prone to anxiety. The what-if game is so fun, am I right? <laughs> and the biggest thing that blew my mind is that there is nothing out there to support someone in my shoes post-surgery. Seriously, nobody tells you to be mentally prepared for the other side of things or how you might feel. I received all the preparatory documents for surgery, ask these questions to your surgeons, do these exercises to help you recover quicker, get these tests done ahead of time. 
As for the day of itself, I had a checklist of everything I needed to prep, what I needed to pack for the hospitals and beyond. The lead up, while incredibly terrifying, was at the very least clear. But as soon as it was over, after a few post-op visits to my surgeon to make sure my healing was going well, I was expected to fend for myself. And when the worry came crashing in like a wrecking ball, please tell me you imagined me circa Miley Cyrus 2017 coming in on a wrecking ball, because if you did, I fucking love you. (laughs) I was looking everywhere for some support, answers, solidarity, and admission that I was, what I was feeling was normal. And once again, I came with a big old bunch of nothing. So that's that chapter. And, uh, uh, I wrote that, um, obviously as part of my writing process in 2019. Um, I actually wrote this whole section when I was in Paris um, on our Euro adventure in September 2019. Um, and uh, shortly thereafter, I, uh, I came out with this episode that I'm going to share a little snippet from, which was um, the day that um, a year ago today where I uh, launched my book and uh, shared what it was like to be a year post-surgery in real time. So let's dig into that. Um, But it is... It's just so wild to to think that I'm I'm literally sitting here recording this in my bathrobe (laughs) and, like, holding my boobs that for the longest time I didn't think would feel like my own. Um, and it's been a really long journey to figuring that out for myself. And I just want, I just want to give you so much love if you are going through something, a transition in your life or, um, you know, you're trying to figure something out about yourself or, um, you're navigating uh, a lot of fear and a lot of, um, anxiety head on because it can feel so lonely and it can feel so overwhelming at times and I just want you to know that you are so not alone (laughs) and that if there's anything that this last year has taught me is that you can do hard things (laughs) you can do hard things and you can show yourself so much compassion in the process and you are so, so, so much stronger than you think. And also that it's okay to not be okay um, as long as you're showing up for yourself <laughs> along the way. Um, you know, uh, I never, ever, ever, ever thought that I was going to be a book writer. <laughs> like I genuinely uh, would have laughed in your face if you had told me that a year ago I was going to write a book. Like if you had been talking to me a year ago and been like, yeah, you're going to write a book. I'd been like, haha, that's really fucking funny. Cause there's no way in hell that's not on the, that's not on the 10 year plan. It's not on the 20 year plan. Um, but it's so funny. Like as part of my intro, I talk about this and it's just really, I never expected, I never expected this piece of my life. And yet here we are. And uh, that was a little snippet from episode 78 entitled I Topped Off My Tits. And if you want to go back and listen to all of these original episodes in their full depths, I highly recommend. Um, I will put all of them in the show notes for you so you have it. And also um, the link to snag a copy of the book um, because I know uh, 
I know how much it's it's meant to so many of you, and it makes a great stocking stuffer too for friends or anyone navigating hardship, which I think we all can say we have this year, right? <laughs> um, so fear and trauma feels like it's been at the fucking highest, and we just need a little fucking love and support and navigating that. Um, and that was, you know, released a year ago. And I, I've talked about this, you know, here and there on Instagram. But the reality of it is I haven't really uh, revisited where I'm at now. Um, I've done it on a few other people's podcasts, on my podcast every once in a while, in small passings. But um, I'm sitting with you as I <laughs> uh, drink my from my water <laughs> where my best friend got me a sticker that says, Calm Your Tits, <laughs> Amanda. Mm. and surrounded by all of the boob art in my new office and um, a beautiful, uh, oh gosh, a beautiful, beautiful uh, like plant. I become a plant mom. If you follow me on Instagram, you know this. I don't know who I am, but the pandemic has made me a plant mom. Um, and uh, this beautiful little, little uh, like plant. Uh, what do you call those things that you hold plants in? A planter? A pot? I don't fucking know. But it has beautiful. It's a beautiful boob plant that one of my clients sent me this year as a thank you for our work together. And um, I'm staring at staring at it right now, actually, and staring at my book and just all the things. And sometimes I have to pinch myself that I'm here, uh, you know. And it, it's a uh, it's also something I don't think about as much on the daily. Um, I do because I, you know, I uh, I have my own boobs, you know. Um, but I've, I've gotten so used to the experience of uh, navigating with these tatas for the last, you know, two years. Um, and I guess uh, not a lot uh, has really shifted. Some physical things have shifted. Um I've actually been talking about this with one of my dear friends who is also has navigated BRCA and the surgery and everything, and um, she actually has been on the podcast before. Um, my heart. I adore this woman more than I know how to express. Um, and, you know, I've been experiencing some, like, nerve pain in my boobs, which is interesting because something I talk about a bunch in my book was, you know, how scared I was about my body dysmorphia and my sex life shifting um, because so much of my um, pleasure expression, which has been a huge, huge part of my personal navigation the last couple of years and a huge part of what I um, do and teach on around embodiment work and everything, um, you know, it's it was previously um, – really huge at least sexually um when it came to my nipple stimulation and um well I never really liked my boobs in terms of aesthetic and I had a lot of stuff around my body around that um and I really struggled with that a lot um they they were a source of deep pleasure for me and you know the thing that I didn't know <laughs> moving into my surgery and stuff and that we weren't really taught um, until you ask questions around was that um, for most people, and this is, again, all this is all just my story. Everyone has navigated this surgery, um, has different experiences, and that's why it's so beautiful to um, 
you know, get more people in your feed or around anything navigating, right? Because that's what, that's why following people who have varying perspectives and beliefs and experiences is so important in this world. And I hope that I am just one of the many humans that you follow around anything involving BRCA or bisexuality or poly or fear or anything in that space um, that I teach on and I actively talk about consistently feeling your feels please follow more people there is not enough of that around Um, and that is why I am so passionate about um, creating spaces where like the summit that we had not long ago where you get access to those people people who are doing incredible things because there is so much goodness out there Um, and you know I wish I had seen more people talk about this piece of things. I wish I saw that now. Um, I have to have these backdoor conversations with my friends who are navigating it um, around how, yeah, you don't often regain sensation at all. Um, And that's been my personal experience. Although lately for the last few months, I've been having some like nerve I don't even know how to describe it. Almost it feels like pins and needles, like painful pins and needles sometimes on my boobs. And it's happened lately um, more so when I have sports bras on for longer or if I have like tightness around my boobs. I mean, I usually don't wear a bra, so that's just my life. Um, so that's been a that's been something I've noticed or even in, you know, sexual experiences like any kind of biting or um, boob play before had just been like, not pleasurable you know because I couldn't feel anything but it was like yeah whatever just like have fun and like I wanted to like regain that love and like you know do some self-massage and really like um compassionately learn to love this part of myself that was um new and um and not what my body had been known to know and where so much trauma was living right it's so much of the work I do for myself um in healing but like uh it evolved into pain, um, which has been something to navigate for myself, right, and and move through. Um, but gener- generally speaking, on a day-to-day, I don't really think about uh, my boobs as much. If anything, um, it's something I now have to think about differently um, if and when I'm dating, um, and choose to step into an intimate experience with somebody new, because when I first... Um, you know, found out about BRCA. I was still living in the monogamous world with Kev. And that just wasn't something I even thought I had to consider, right? Um, that's a thing I know a lot of my friends who've navigated this have to think about. And how do you broach this conversation? Um, or, or be like, yeah, I, I wrote a book. It's called I Chopped Off My Tits. And then be like, I'm sorry, what? You know? Um, and luckily, I've had really beautiful, loving humans um, interact with that. I, I tend to be very intentional with who I um, put into the potential of my own world because I I have a lot of honestly like I I have pretty high expectations and I have a lot of pretty amazing humans in my life um, you know that I I don't I don't I don't need anybody who's gonna be you know not in a supportive space around that like f no bye <laughs> um, it's just I have no time for that drama or bullshit. Um, but that's been an interesting thing that I didn't expect. But honestly, more so for me, um, it's uh, 
it's been, uh, and I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, um, especially with the episode with um, Alyssa Pressman. Um, love, love, love that episode so deeply around grief and trauma and how it shows up in our bodies. We talked about that. Um, and for me, we both have the BRCA gene, and we talked a little bit about this in the episode, but for me, what's been coming up a lot lately is the other piece of the coin um, which is uh, that not only with the BRCA gene does it impact breast cancer, um, it also impacts uh, ovarian cancer and the risk for that. And uh, ovarian cancer is one of those things that there's just not a lot of great ways to detect it. And it can be really quick and really um, scary. And um, it's honestly something that I didn't have it in me to (laughs) actively think about what the uh what that could look like for me um and I gave myself the permission and my therapist did as well um, when I was navigating all of the stuff around breast cancer and chopping off my tits to just put that away for a little bit um so that I could intentionally pour into that piece of this puzzle Um, But as I approach my 30th birthday and know that by 35, I will have to, and by have to, I mean, I, uh, it would behoove me and be way, uh, way more aligned probably for my heart to do, um, have some kind of version of a hysterectomy. Um, The uh, science in that changes like what feels like on a freaking six month to one year basis around navigating ovarian cancer so who knows where it'll be in a few years um but that's going to be my life um if I intentionally choose to move in that direction and um that is a lot to navigate because um that brings up a whole new thing um and and a whole whole set of new questions and um new fears and new things to move through um and I honestly haven't really started doing that. That is uh, something I have gifted myself the grace to pause and live and um, and not hold all of it at once because we don't have to do that. I think that's something that uh, I had a really hard time learning uh, was that we don't have to hold everything at once. We can choose to hold certain things and um, not uh, uh, endlessly spiral Um, even though my brain sometimes likes to do that when I am not, um, supporting myself or healthy. Um, but especially this year, I was like, fuck no, this isn't happening. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at now. And in terms of, you know, my journey with this, I think if anything, I am just constantly living in gratitude right now, um, for all of you that I've connected with, whether you are somebody who uh, has BRCA or breast cancer and are in that, you know, club, as I we so often like to say, um, it's a club you never want to be in, but you just hop in there, you know, because you 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 have it and it it's your life. Or um, you are one of the incredible listeners and um, live your fuck yes lifers and or clients of mine who endlessly reach out whether it's via DM or, um, you know, in our work together, um, or in, you know, the, the virtual summit or whatever it is that, um, I'm, I'm doing and, and navigating and you echo how me talking about this or me making silly, you know, TikTok slash reels around this or, um, 
reading I Chopped Off My Tits uh, or listening to the podcast has changed your life. Because that's why I started this. That's why I started this podcast. That's why I do everything I do. And ultimately, I haven't changed your life. You have. And I say this to my clients all the time. I am a mirror. And I hope that by sharing, I can activate something inside of you. And by um, sending the container, I can activate something inside of you to uh, unbecome and truly step into your fullest fuck yes self and remove all of the shoulds um, that that the world and everyone else around you has placed um, so that you can come home, right? That's that's what I do and why I do everything I do. And um, it means so much to me that I've been able to share this experience with all of you and to hear how deeply it has impacted your hearts is why I do this and is why I feel so damn grateful that I'm sitting here in my boob shirt and fucking sniffing up a storm over here, feeling all the feels, um, two years post-surgery and a year post the launch of my book and almost three years post finding out that I had this, um, just filled with so much gratitude. Um, and I owe that to all of you. And I also owe that to, uh, the inner deep and beautiful work that I have gifted myself and allowed myself to step into even when it was hard and so hard that I didn't know how to show up in the moment and I was feeling so much that it felt like it would never ever the mess would never go away but I am living proof that it can and it does um and that all that all that I personally have found that has been the answer all along in that space is to just live in the moment and be true and support yourself through moving through the fucking fears, feels, and embodying your fuck yes self. So uh, with that, I'm going to leave you on this very long ass beautiful episode um, and uh, remind you that all of the stuff we talked about today um, is in the show notes. Um Everything is there for you. And I would really love, as always, to hear um, what you took away from this episode. Um, Please let me know on Instagram. I'm always, always love chatting with you in my DMs at Amanda Catherine Loy. Um, And if it is so in your heart, if you've been the longtime listener or short time listener or whatever, if this episode or any of the episodes recently, I know I've got a lot of new followers as of late and listeners as of late. you know, let, 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 leave a review, uh, you know, let me know, um, what your thoughts are. It goes a long way. Um, and it really supports me and my journey and, um, and it genuinely makes my heart so happy to hear your words. So I adore you all. Um, I'll see you, uh, maybe on the Instagram today, (laughs) certainly later. Um, and, uh, yeah, until next week, I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.